0: to episode 12 of Swing Thoughts, brought to you, what? 13. 13. No. I'm sure of it. No. No. It's lucky 13. No. live on iTunes. Um, let me just look at the,
1: uh... Seriously. No,
0: I, because I, I just did this last week. I thought it was, uh... Yeah, show 13. Are you, are you completely invested in that number? I'm just a data guy. I have a journalism background. I have to get it right. Otherwise, my whole day is. Here's on. the thing. If you're right, that's cool with me. Are you going to be okay if you're wrong, though? I'll take it as a learning opportunity. I'll just grow from this
1: I'll put it behind me <laughs> You I know what? The, I won't, the emotions won't
0: overwhelm <laughs> when me When you talk about numbers, I stop growing, if you know what I mean uh, Welcome to Swing Thoughts, I'm Humble Howard That uh, persnickety voice is uh, Tim O'Connor of uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca He's uh, a mental performance coach, he's my mental performance coach for God's sake Although I think we, today. I think we learn from one another. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm something. I gotta be, I gotta be some. There's gotta be some reason I came into your life. Well, you were desperate, but now you're. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's your. That's your take on it. I was desperate. We both were. Okay. Well, we're, growing a little, we're, we're growing in our own wounds and whatever episode this is. Uh, welcome to Swing Thoughts. I think this is going to be an unusual. Uh, Episode of our show today Because, uh, I mean, it's It'll be the first time I think now we've had something that is such a great example of our, source, our sort of raison d'etre, our reason to be. One of the reasons we love doing this show is we like hanging out with each other, even though we can't get the number of episodes right, although I'm pretty proud of the fact that I'm now getting the name of your website right. I that part which is, <laughs> I'm filled with joy. So, um, and of course, uh, I'm part of the uh, Humble and Fred show, the worldwide uh, phenomenon of nonsense. Uh, anyway, this is a great... I think one of the reasons we love doing this is now now we have something to react to that is part of why we do the show, which is to talk about golf and talk about the mental side. Uh, Last week, uh, everyone was watching the Masters. Except that, as I was saying to Timmy. Except the people who were watching Bagger Vance on the Golf Channel. Like, that was about three people, right? Well, and I, I, was calling, I called Tim yesterday. i go, I've written a great joke, and it went over completely uh, flatly. But that's okay. My premise is, why was the Golf Channel running the legend of Bagger Vance? Who, who, was in, who could be into golf and not want to watch the Masters? And I said to Timmy, I said, I don't know what they were thinking. They could have run a dial tone. I, I, who would have turned it over? Exactly. I was thinking they could run a test pattern. Exactly. Those things at like, four like the, in the morning. Exactly. Like the old test pattern. Like when we only had two channels. Um, like I don't know. I would have loved to have been in that golf channel meeting. Well, we've got the Masters coming up on Sunday. What do you guys think we should run? Do we have anything? Do we have any uh, human sacrifice? Because if we don't, <laughs> let's just shut it down. Like who's watching the Masters? Going, oh, this is kind of boring. I'd like to watch a movie with commercials. <laughs> what yeah, is, exactly. Who's that guy? <laughs> oh yeah, honey, I'm turning it over from the Masters to an old movie. <laughs> like it's absurd Anyway Because I can't imagine anyone turning Any golfer Turning that away I guess you have to run something You know they have obligations to Advertisers and whatnot How about old episodes of Three's Company I want to just <laughs> Just co- like completely non-golf Was Ritter a golfer? It doesn't matter It would have been funny if You know what they should have done? They should have taken an old episode of Three's Company And just dubbed in Jim Nance's voice <laughs> <laughs> with the hello friends the other guy. hello friends um, making his uh, second appearance on our program um, and we're happy to have him is uh, what's the matter and we're going to acknowledge our sponsor oh f- god thank you what is going on with me uh, of course this program brought to you by Made Adidas I was there this week, so I should uh, remember that the uh, number one driver in golf is uh, as you well know, is the uh, m one and now the m two uh, making his uh, second appearance on our program the dot com uh, Carl Morris. welcome back, my friend
2: Good to be back with you. How are you both?
0: Um, I That's not sort a of, skill testing question. I think we're kind of shell shocked, giddy. We can't get the numbers Tim, right. Tim hesitated on how are you doing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. I'll start with the easy questions and work up from yeah.
1: there. Hey, well, Carl, it is a big day. I didn't sleep well. Um, today's the first day I in Canada in the Great White North can hit golf balls off green grass. Wow, coming out of the snow. So it's a big day for a lot of Canadian golfers.
2: First day summer, for summer. Finally arrived. Well, in the UK, we've, we've had some snow overnight, so we believe oh. it or not, we're, we're we're supposed to be in spring, but it still looks very much like much like winter out right there.
0: Well, Tim's right and wrong. Uh, like a lot of uh, us, we are. This is the first day that we're going out. But you know, about a month or so ago, golf. There's a bunch of golf courses open oh, yeah, at the end yeah. of February. Early. We had spring like for a, about a week there in early March. It was at 15 and 16 degrees, and then winter came back. When I'm not done with you, we're not finished yet. I called it Winter 2.0. Um, but today is also the first day that Tim and I are going out together. Tim, you know, uh, coaching me, and uh, and we're going to hang out a little bit, and I uh, can't wait. So, Carl. Yeah. As I said in the introduction, this is the first time since we've been doing the 12 or 13 episodes of our show that we've had something that we can react to. And one of the reasons that and Tim suggested, hey, let's get Carl back on to get a take of, you know, what we all witnessed last week at the Masters
2: it was very sort of circular uh, route, wasn't it? Twenty years on from the probably the most famous meltdown in golf when uh, when Greg Norman collapsed to right. Nick Faldo's relentless golf. So you know, twenty years on from that, I was probably probably the, the next in, next in line with, with what we saw I almost missed it actually. When uh, when Jordan was sort of four or five in front, I thought it's was going it to be a procession. and I was about mm-hmm. to go to bed, but I thought I'll just I'll just wait just to see what happens on the on the twelfth and uh, and of course the, uh, the, the the rest is history yeah. and. Uh, it's fascinating to, to hear so many people. You know, the put sort of press people got in touch after, afterwards for uh, asked me to sort of comment on it and they were talking about is this the worst disaster ever in golf and I said str- straight away I said fellas you know you just need to stop using that word where sport's concerned you know there are a lot of disasters in the world but losing a golf tournament isn't one of them and, I, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that, that Jordan Spieth one of the great things he's got his perspective on the game and I think he'll have his perspective on this and you know we well, will say will he ever recover I think of course he'll recover he'll learn from it and move on
0: um, let's just go Back to what you said, and and, and sort of frame this. And it was twenty years. It was so weird, like whatever that word is, Timmy. So many coincidences, or whatever. The fact that he wasn't going to play, that his wife was pregnant, that it was twenty years since the Norman meltdown, that it was the first time an Englishman had won in twenty years. The all that stuff, and it, it gives it sort of a rich context. As golf fans, we kind of go, "Wow, you know, that, that's just like that." But in the end. Will this be remembered much like the Norman Faldo thing for Danny Ouellette's amazing play or Jordan Spieth's whatever that is? Is that for me? That could be for anyone. Yeah,
2: I mean, I... We're only
0: doing an hour show, Tim, so if you want to just jump in with some, you know, talk and stuff, Tim just keeps staring dreamily into space thinking about (laughs) chipping with me this afternoon. What do you think of that, Tim? I, unfortunately, it'll be
1: remembered as Jordan Speeth's collapse because he's he's the star. That's the kind of world we're in. We uh, the marquee players are what dominate everyone's conversation. So Jordan Spieth was he was being um, we were coronating him as as having won his second Masters. The stories were all in line. Um, and then I think just a lot felt- of people
0: like Carl were like, well, you know, he's got a five-shot lead. He's going to 10. Uh, Tim, as a former golf writer, you know those guys would start in, somewhere in the press tent and around the world. Guys were starting to write the story. Absolutely. The, everyone was caught up
1: in that, in that story. Um, but uh, to your point, people will remember that Jordan... A quad, you know. I don't think it was a collapse or anything like that. It was a quad, bad decision making, and that just informed everything that that happened there. Uh, but Carl, to your point, um, yeah, it wasn't a disaster or anything. And I really think I want to get your feedback on this. Is that I really think that viewers who are predominantly golfers or can at least um, they're fans of sport and media make a way bigger deal than the players do of yeah. when those types of things happen can you just speak to that
2: yeah I mean I I, I do remember listening to Greg Norman's press conference after he after he lost against against Faldo, and it was it's, it's still on YouTube, and it's, it would be well worth anybody looking at. It's a fantastic response because even twenty years ago, they're wanting to talk about the disaster of it all and how terrible it was. And you know, I I, can't, I, I won't get it word for word, but Greg looked to them and said, "Look, guys, nobody's died. You know, I, I've got I've got forty million dollars in the bank. It's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, I'll I'll, I'll recall from this, and you know, I, I, that was a great example of obviously somebody, somebody at the top of the game going through the worst meltdown that we've probably seen. But but having a perspective on it, and I'm, and I'm absolutely certain that Jordan Spieth will will, will, be, will be the same. But you know, in, in answer to the other question, it will be remembered because we do we do have a propensity to remember disaster far more than we do success. You know, it, has, it leaves a bigger imprint on the memory because of the emotion attached to it. So um, you know. That that, that, that is just the way that the human brain works.
0: I read an interesting article this week, and I can't remember if it was... a Golf Channel article or not, but the, the whole point of the article was that Greg Norman in 1996 is not Jordan Spieth in 2016. Greg Norman at that point had had cataclysmic, chaotic things happen in a lot of oh, absolutely majors prior to that. He had the lead in the, uh, several points in several big tournaments where he hit that block right shot that became his sort of Achilles' heel. And and the art, the point of the article wasn't that you know. Greg Norman melted down. it was almost like less of a surprise, if you will, like that it was more expected that it, it was almost like how could he not have that happen to him because it's happened to him a bunch of times before, whereas I think because Jordan's so young and he hasn't quite experienced that finished fourth at the open last year, but still it was a bit of a shock, I think, because he has heretofore not had that, yeah he um. Norman was known for being snake bit. The yes. Car, the the, um,
1: the Carl Mize, the uh, the Larry Mize chip in uh, in the playoff. Bob Tway, Bob Tway at the, in the PGA Championship. Uh, Gomez hey, holding up at uh, Bay
0: Hill in '86. Uh, Norman was leading on the 18th hole. He bogeyed 18th. to par ties it. Birdie wins it. Exactly. He blocks it in the bunker and bogeys it to lose to Nicholas. So right. it's it was an, an almost historical that. Uh, he was going to act that way. Yeah, but he, well, Carl. What I remember about Norman is that, and I actually, I was
1: covering the Masters as a journalist. I was there, and his whole process slowed down. Everything that he was doing unconsciously now became conscious. Can you speak to that? How that changes yeah. for golfers I mean, when they, I, I when they get into? I, I think somebody did a
2: study on that, Tim, that was fascinating. That I think in the in the first three rounds, when he was blowing the field away, they timed his his routine, and, and and in the first three rounds. It didn't vary hardly, hardly at all. A couple of seconds here, a couple of seconds there. But then, if they timed in the final round uh, and the routine varied, I think it was anything up to 45 seconds, which is a, which is an eternity of time right. to be to be different. And that that is classically, you know, I, I, I um, somebody somebody said to me after Jordan Spieth um, after the blow up this this year, and he said, you know, did he get curl? I said, I said completely the opposite. He would, he would he would have started to get far more curl. Too too careful, and that's what a lot of people tend to do in pressure situations. They actually deliberate too much, take too long, get out of the, the sort of natural routine rhythm, uh, and, and, and overanalyze. And, and you, you could see that starting to happen. But he also was in a. I think there's another fascinating thing that a lot of club golfers will relate to. You know the idea that um, anticipated loss—that that, that when when, the, when human beings fear that they're going to lose something that they perceive that they already own—they get they get very very agitated about that. and They'll do almost anything to try and avoid that. And I, I think you know Pat I, I don't know what he was thinking—but my, my best guess is that you know in his mind Jordan must have thought, "I've got this one in the bag." And then all of a sudden, when it's starting to go away from you, the thought of losing something that you thought that you had becomes very very difficult to sort of halt that thought train. I think he made the I think he made the comment to his caddy didn't, you know, we're really struggling out here, or whatever words he used. But he was he was clearly then much more into an outcome rather than and you could and it was fascinating as well listening to Danny Willett I know he's come right under the radar and he would have gone out in that final round. I think it was it was a perfect setting for him. He was under the radar. He was playing with a he was playing with Lee Westwood so that would have put him at ease. But even on the last few holes the, the, the dialogue that he had with his caddy was fascinating. Because they were so absorbed in, in in each and every shot, I know it's the biggest cliche in golf play one shot at a time. But they, you know, the descriptions that they were giving of exactly what they were trying to do on each hole between the player and the caddy were, were, were two people. Was the player just completely focused on the task rather than the outcome of the of the task?
1: Yeah, I and I loved what they did on eighteen. So he comes. So Danny Willett comes to eighteen. Everyone knows he's got the the Masters within his grasp. I think at that time he's got a three shot lead or something and there's all kinds of excitement around the tee and as Willett is going to step in to hit the ball twice he had to back off I loved what they did there in terms of they completely stopped the process and restarted on the 18th uh, tee yeah exactly yeah, amazing that was
0: great they went right back to check the, um, the yardage book and what's Timmy's the right you know you, you, you notice his caddy actually said okay he, he actually Willett missed almost like he misunderstood for a second because his caddy said let's start again and there was a co- some snippet of conversation when Willett kind of went, you mean all again? He went, yeah, and they backed, they literally went as though they had never, that whole process that Tim just uh, described, I thought that was interesting, because even Willett was a little bit um, not confused, but like wasn't sure that the caddy meant no all over again yardage book let's and you saw Willet starting to make the calculations
1: oh at, all he was doing everything all over again Carl what did you see there
2: yeah I think that I think that's the benefit of a, of a very very smart and experienced caddy
0: I was going to say the caddy it, uh, yeah. a, a, a huge you know, big you know, whatever the, whatever
2: the guy got paid at the end of the day and I'm sure it was a significant amount it, it, it was worth it and, and, I, and I think what that moment highlights is is how um, underappreciated Appreciated, the caddies are, and, and it's, it's no coincidence that, the, that some of the great players have, have, you know, caddies for a long time. Mickelson with Bones, and, yeah. and you know, we can we can Jack Nicklaus over the over the years with um, Jimmy Dickinson in the Open and Argea, and, play, and caddies like that. You know, Bernard Langer with Pete Coleman went, went on for a long, long time. And and a, and, a
0: and, real, and
2: yeah, you know, and, and a really, really good caddy is is such a valuable part of the. Team you know just was as we were talking about disasters you know the 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 other one that we all remember van at the open in um, 99 at, at um yeah, you know and unfortunately he had a pretty inexperienced caddy on his back that week and you know you, you've got to imagine that you know Stevie Williams or whoever in that situation would have stepped in and said so you are not doing this hit this golf ball here you know you're not going to hit that driver um, but, but, but you know the, the caddy was probably more nervous than the player was in that situation but you know back to Willett's caddy that was a, that was a, that was a high quality piece of, um, of of an intervention there right at that, that's high quality psychology right right in the heat of the
0: battle. Well it's interesting that this is where we're going because one of the things I wanted to do with you two and um, just as an exercise I'll throw this out and maybe Carl can go first and Tim can go after. If you're Jordan Spieth's caddy, caddy, you've now gone bogey on 10, bogey on 11 it's the 12th hole and, you know, we can get into why he would go for that pin and, and all that stuff. And maybe that'll be, you know, something we'll talk about later. But you're Jordan Spieth's caddy. It's now you've hit a ball in the water. So that's now done. Carl Morris, let's talk about a caddy intervention. What do you say to him? What What's the strategy before he hits that second shot, which we saw go in the water?
2: For me, it would be, what, what's the task here? What are, what are we actually trying to do here? Just describe the shot to me. And so I'd be, I'd be as a caddy, trying to get him back into the, the actual task of moving this golf ball from here to there. You know, you, again, you, 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 we, we've discussed it already, but you can hear it with good caddies and good players. When they're in the flow; they're actually describing in detail the actual shot at hand. So it, it would be, for me, anything getting, getting him back into the, into the task rather than what's just happened or what may happen. In the in in, in the future, and again, I know it's a cliche, but you've got to just try and get people back into this moment. What is this task to move this golf ball from here to there? And um, took very 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 tough to do, obviously in that situation. And, uh, I felt
0: they hand. I I felt that it happened way too fast. I was surprised how quickly that second shot uh, after the tee shot. When he, I I couldn't. I couldn't reconcile how quickly they hit that shot, Timmy. They seem to be out of the rhythm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're his caddy. What do you do? I would,
1: first of all, I would say, all right, breathe, for sure. Breathe, breathe. And that's, and this is walking. We even walk slowly over to where we're going to So where we're going to go. mm mm-hmm. um, And then uh, I agree 100% with Carl about what's the task and what's the good question. Again, Carl, as I often do, I'm stealing some of your stuff. Yeah, we steal all your stuff all the time, Carl, and pretend it's ours. Well, I've stolen
2: it from somebody else. Exactly. We're just passing passing it forward. As long
1: as we're all clear. But I like where you're going with that in terms of like, okay, what's the task? What's the focus we have so that everything is is aimed at that? It's just what do we have in front of us, not just what happened. That is history. And that's where a good you know post shot routine comes into play too but i would say it's a combination of breathing slow down and the caddy just has to have again coming back to the caddy um just having a
0: demeanor that's all right that's happened now, a- a- ask me what i would have done uh howard glassman just do it what um, the hell would here's you here's the thing If I'm his caddy, well, one of the things Carl talks about in one of his books is asking good questions, as Tim just referred to. But if I'm his caddy, I would have taken double the time from that tee box to the drop area. And that's what I was sort of hinting at. Exactly. As a viewer, as a a good player, I'm thinking, why is this happening so quickly? What's the hurry to hit this shot?
2: Jordan made the comment, didn't he, that we didn't take the deep breath on 12 or some something related to...
0: Yeah, but that was on 12, and I want to I look back at, at that piece, but... But um, my, my point is, I would have taken double the time from the tee box to wherever they were going to drop it, meaning, like, let's not be in a hurry. Forget the pros... Forgetting let's not be in a hurry to get the process started. Let's not be in a hurry to get there, because I know as a player, I've you know, when things start to spiral... They speed up. They speed up. And well, they I speed just,
2: up, they speed up or slow down. I think well, that's the key. And, yeah. The key point we've got to make, really, that that what what people will do is get out of their rhythm. Right. So so they'll either they'll either speed up or they'll slow down. Are you back uh, to
0: the Greg Norman example? Yeah. Right. And I yeah. think Michael Greller, you know, as good a caddy as he's been for Jordan, and as a good as good a guy as I think he is, I read his sort of post-round piece about how he thinks Jordan is just the greatest kid, and that's wonderful. But I think Michael Greller needed to do a little bit more in the in the in the face of, Buddy this isn't over yet. Even if we make double bogey here, mm. it's fine. But I just found them. They went from the tee box to the drop area, or wherever they dropped it, in, 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 a, in a time span that seemed way out of out of, uh, out of sequence yeah yeah Carl I wanted to ask
1: you about just the to me the problem that happened for Jordan was about bad decision making he obviously didn't have his a game he had uh, he was battling those high right shots as we saw on uh, seventeen and eighteen on Saturday mm-hmm. so they come to twelve you got that the, the Sunday pin to the to the far right side and they go what's the shot and it's a and he said it's a, it's a fade and he played it all that week so he took the nine but, and he said, that, you know, they were just going to focus on what was going on and, be, and swing confidently. However, what uh, from reading the transcript of the interview, he did everything the right way. However, his body, and what he said was he wasn't comfortable. I'm trying to find that line, but said, yeah. Anyways, he's just, he wasn't comfortable with it. And I think if you could just speak to that whole piece about we decide on a shot. But our body is not comfortable, we're not going to be able to hit that shot. Do you think that that... uh, What do you think of that?
2: Yeah, I I think it's a good point about him... I think his golf swing for that week finally caught up with him um, and that one of the things I, I work on with players is when when they ask the question you know what what is the shot here the The answer to that is based on the game that they 've got that week exactly or the game that they 've got at that particular round you know if you're if you 're battling away with your with your c game, the answer to the question What is the shot here is different than if you 've got your a game and I, and I think that's the that 's the real skill that in that in that real heat heat of battle, if you if you know you're battling, you, you you swing to a degree, and certain things happening with it. When you ask the question, "What's the shot here?" you've you've got to build that into it. So you know, at, at times, I think that's where Nicholas was so great, wasn't it? You know, we, we all probably agree that Nicholas maybe had the greatest mind ever of anybody who played the game, and I think Nicholas was an absolute master at, at, at playing the game with what he had what he, what he had that day, and being able to realise that if he if he wasn't quite on his a Game, he could still get it round, but you know, at times he played very conservatively. I mean, I love the, I love the phrase that he used that he he, he didn't really set out to to win majors; he just waited for other people to lose them. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, and I think that might be slightly different in the modern game now because there's a lot more people can win majors than perhaps in Jack's day. But you know, there, there was a guy who, who knew himself and and he knew how to adapt relative to the to the game that he'd got that day, and I, and, I, and I think that's where. You know the whole idea that the, the golf industry sells sells the idea that we've got to, You know, you're going to eventually have a consistent golf swing is just the biggest load of baloney ever. And the real skill to this game is, is, is the accepting first of all that you'll never have a consistent golf swing, and the skill is dealing with the dealing with the inconsistency better than other people do.
1: Right. And so, so on exactly that, let's look at the just the decision to hit a fade versus a draw because I think that what they didn't take into consideration was the margin for error there oh. is that if you hit that he's hitting that high right shot the margin oh. for error for a fade is likely that ball's in the water It's a, and a ball in the
0: water is a goner Whereas if you hit the draw, at least they're likely, more likely to find it. Or, or, Timmy, as a player, you can appreciate it. If you're if you're sort of, you know, at the professional level, it's a few degrees. But if you're sort of high block fading it all all day and you know that's kind of your whatever you brought to the course that day, then isn't the margin of error also? Maybe it's aim way further left than you normally would. Because if you're not drawing it, and you, you better, as Carl said, build that into it. Well, he, so, had the, he had the fade. He was confident in his draw, but not in his fade. But he, that was the shot. So they picked it. So but whatever the whatever it was, it, the margin of error wasn't built into it. Because you've got to make that miss at that moment, long or left. Because long, bunker, you're making a bogey. Left, maybe you make a par. But right, as Tim says, you bring water into play.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're all speaking with the benefit of hindsight. Which sure, is all Which is all very intelligent. We're all very intelligently. Looking we're super this smart, now. Carl. You know um, But I, I agree You know but, <laughs> if, if he draws the ball And he goes long left He takes four Four doesn't kill him Does it No You know He, he just walks out To there Makes another bogey And probably would have would, would have would have gone on And won it But you know the, the, the seven kills him Because of that decision To play the fade
0: You know You talk about Nicholas There's some great stories About his mental toughness And, and I, I love what Carl said um, About this sort of Holy grail That golfers have That I'm going to be want- Every golfer I've ever met Even guys who shoot 110 go, man, if I could just be a little more consistent, well, guess what? You can't. But Nicholas, there's a great story about Nicholas in the last round of a major. uh, Hit his first uh, two drives with a driver and uh, didn't like the way, either he pull hooked it or something and never never hit driver again for the rest of the round. Because he just accepted he's the greatest player of all time, but on that day, the greatest player that ever played couldn't get driver in the fairway and he said, you know what? Screw it. I'll hit three. He hit three wood and one iron all the way around. Now that's yeah. acceptance.
2: That, that 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 is that is mental toughness, mental skill. What was Nicholas's favorite? Famous phrase: You've got to dance with the lady who brung you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that is that is it in a nutshell. And I think I think that's where a lot of people struggle struggle because they they, they, they hope they believe that they're going to have this this you know all all exclusive um, consistent A game. And when they've not when they've not got their A game, they continue to make what I call A game decisions. Mm-hmm. So they're making decisions based on their best golf rather than making decisions based on the. the B, C, or even D game at times, you know, and it's that, and that, and I think you know he played really, really well, and, and you know it's great to see Langer do do so well in the Masters, and all the last round didn't work out quite well. But I mean, I think Bernard's been another good example of that. That Langer is a past master at just working, working the golf ball round with whatever he's got that day. I, ho-
0: I hope people that have high handicaps, uh, whatever, listen to what Carl just said, which is they keep making A game decisions even when they don't have it. And I you know listen i 've been around the game my whole life and and been interested in the mental side and one of the things i 've never understood i 'm with a guy who 's got a 14 handicap who one once a long time ago hit his seven r and one sixty five but that was one day and he has continued to think he hits his seven r yeah. and one sixty five and because he's and it 's just this mental disconnect with what you actually do you hit it about one hundred fifty so they make they make these decisions handicap we all do it, but it seems higher handicap players continue to think that they make these decisions based on an A-swing they don't really have access to. Yeah. And
2: that's why I think you know, for me, I'd love to see more coaching taking place in the place that we actually play the sport called the golf course where, where you know, people are actually given coaching in the actual environment that you play the game where, where people can have these sort of things explained to them. Whereas when it's just range, range, range all the time, it, it tends to be just searching for that A swing that you just mentioned as opposed to how do we work it around when we've got B, C or D? How do we actually get it around with with less than Perfect, um, And, and that, that, that for me, is the difference between the, the science of golf and, and the art of playing the game.
1: So, Carl, I want to move to the guy who actually won the tournament, <laughs> uh, Danny Who
2: Bullitt. was that, by the way? We <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think it was Nick Faldo's kid. <laughs> 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 um, so, Will one of the things that I found that was really interesting about Willett winning this thing, and one of the reasons he came in under the radar was that I think he'd won four tournaments in New Europe, I think that was it. Uh, but also, he was the last player to register for the Open. His wife, uh, I think her name is Nikki, was was scheduled to give birth on the on the tenth, the Sunday. The baby came a week earlier, so thus he can play. So my point is that he came in to the event not focused on himself. And I think that he was basking, if you will, in heart-based emotions around a child being born, way more important than any golf tournament, even, you know, a major. Mm. And I think that maybe that just played into him just being more relaxed, kind of just surrendering to whatever he's got and swinging with more freedom. Yeah. And I really think that's a big piece in golf, that when we have kind of... A, a larger intention than just this micro focus on what we're going to score. We tend to play better. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Carl.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's a great point, Tim, and I, I think a lot of people. especially Especially at the professional level, the, the, the waiting for golf to make them feel good about themselves, mm. and, and the problem is that puts an awful lot of pressure on a very, very inconsistent game. I remember reading years ago in you know, one of the groundbreaking books of, of the mental game that Tim Galway's in a game of golf, and there's a part in the book where he talks about how the, if if golf if golf has the capability to make you a somebody, it's also got the capability to make you a nobody, mm-hmm. uh, and and that was. The phrase that always rang rang true with me there that, that you know and, and as Tim has just said if you if if, if you're going into the tournament and, and you're happy just because you're happy and you, you you know you're appreciative of life and you you actually go out there you're not waiting for the golf ball or the golf tournament to feel to make you feel great about yourself it's a it's a it's a more balanced centered place to play the game and he's just probably gone into that well not probably he's obviously gone into the Masters feeling fantastic about uh, Charles just been bu- and he feels good about that, and he's just gone and gone and played golf. And and I think it's the other thing—he's he's gone in there with no expectation. Um, you know, he's even probably played the last round with no expectation. Really, it can't can't be too many people who mention him as, as a potential winner before he went out in the final round. I know he was in the mix, but nobody would have been putting the heat on him in that respect. So, you know, it was it was it was a gathering of a perfect storm really for him. But uh, you know, all credit to him—he's actually gone there and took advantage of it.
0: Well, that's really the lesson, and maybe we should leave it with that. I mean, Carl Morris, who has worked with lots of tour players and, you know, famous golfers and not famous golfers, really the lesson is, you know, if you have some balance and equanimity in your life and you feel pretty good about yourself as a human being and you lower your expectations around this stupid game we play for fun, apparently, maybe that's the secret to enjoying the experience no matter what the score turns out to be
2: i often say to people you know in the seminars that i do don't forget that having fun is within the
0: rules (laughs) (laughs) um listen carl morris the uh ultimate players program thank you for being on episode 13 i think we've uh oh wow i've gone back in the archives and uh (laughs) tim just relax I sometimes I'm wonder which one. I, I sometimes do do wonder pump. which one of us is the mental performance coach. And listen, Carl, we certainly appreciate you being there when we've called a second time and, my, and I hope you don't good, hope good you're okay with again. I was hope you're okay with the fact that it won't be the last time.
2: Okay. Look forward to the next time. All right, mister. Thank you. Thanks,
0: Bye. Carl. The mindfactor dot com is his website. You know, part of the reason I think I get our episode uh, you know, chronology mixed up is because I keep getting confused with the shows we did prior to actually posting the show. Our our, our practice round. Our shows. practice round shows. Right. Yeah. Very good stuff in there. Um, I mean, no doubt the reason that you and I came together is because of our over eighty-five years of thinking about this stupid game way too much. Actually, your um, math is off again. But so no, <laughs> I'm saying between us.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. So what math did you think I was referring to? Our age is combined age. Oh, our combined age is 200. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our combined age is like a million. No, I just think that, you know, it's funny. I, I often wonder what's, you know, I think about what credibility or lack of, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, well, I was saying to our friend uh, who's uh, hanging out in the studio today, Brad, I said, what I love about this show is that for 44 years, I've played and thought about golf more than I've thought about, you know, curing anything. And I found you, somebody else who's in that you know similar mindset but what 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 I found through this show is I keep running into people that come up to me and they're like, "Hey, by the way, I, th- I think a lot about the same stuff you guys do. I'm like, really, I knew you guys did, but most guys don't like to talk about this stuff. no, they won't they won't go there I mean that you know it's
1: it's kind of I said it before it's it's kind of woo woo it's kind of a topic you don't get into, but what we do is that because we're we're mature, damn it. And Speak for yourself. We've lived it. And uh, so this is, to me, the most interesting part of the game is, is going into those rabbit holes of, you know, when you look at times where the game made us freaking desperate, you know, and when you've chucked the the wedge into the pond or on the way home totally beat yourself up or felt
0: this overwhelming joy of something. Happening. But most people won't talk about it. I agree with what you said. Especially this part It is the most interesting part of the game And uh, I think anyone that's been around it For any length of time And I think even people that are new, new to it Suspect that Really the best conversation Is about this stuff Because it's like anything else in life You know, we feel these feelings on the golf course. You're playing well, all of a sudden it goes away, and you feel horrible. Feelings, but you feel horrible, and you just wish you could talk about that. I got no feelings. I just the only feeling I got is anger. Okay, sorry, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding here. But so my point is, we all have these thoughts and feelings, and and this, you know, when you know the odd time you might have picked up Carl Morris's book or Bob Rotella, and you think, oh, other guys, there's there's something else going on. My point is, when the round's over, it's this isn't what we talk about. We talk about, you know, any number of things about the mechanics of golf or, hey, too bad you doubled 17 and you didn't get whatever, right? If I didn't have three, three putts on the back. And those are the things we recount. But as you said, on the way home, you you, you, either you feel elated or you're beating yourself up about the things we're talking about. Um, I didn't mean to talk over your little feelings rant there, but it's true that, you know, this is the the subtext of the game. But in actual fact. It's I think a lot of guys, certainly the feedback I'm getting is that everyone has a thought about it. It is the game. Everyone thinks about this.
1: Right. But they don't necessarily express it. It's not the kind of thing that a lot of people are comfortable sitting around in the grill room having a beer. Right. Going like, you know, on 12 there, I was going through my head about all this practice I've been doing is nothing. And I'm a crappy athlete. And what's the point? I mean, why am I doing this? Why do I spend I'm so much quit time? i this game. This is stupid. And, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot. You know, not too many people are comfortable, particularly with other guys,
0: to to put that stuff out there. Because here's how it's normally framed. Uh, You know, you're playing with your buddies, you're playing well, you get to 12, you make a quad, and then either either they know you're upset because you... I'm sorry, I'm, for, I'm <laughs> forgot we weren't. Let me just beep that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're clean. You notice the clean, the ex- yeah, <laughs> a clean. Yeah,
1: we a little C beside our show on. We've iTunes. taken the
0: explicit. Yeah, uh, yeah but, but we're but excited. We're m- excited. Most guys will say, "I made a quad on twelve, and then you may have you you saw me melt down and threw my clubs, and then they know that you just played horribly the rest of the round, and no one really wants the same. They 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 know they they know they witnessed it. They recognize." That, that behavior, because they've probably done it themselves too, but they don't know what to say. And it certainly isn't, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, breathing or have you ever thought about maybe a post-shot routine or any of the other mechanical mental performance things that, you know, you can learn from Tim or, or you know, you can learn. But that's not the conversation most guys have.
1: The reason, I, what I think goes on is that, that most people, and women included for sure, is that they are thrown into into feelings that they just don't want to share because they just don't want to be vulnerable at that point. They don't want Buddy in their foursome to know that, you know, right now, they're actually, they felt anger. But uh, the polar opposite of anger is sadness. Mm-hmm. And they're feeling really actually you get down to it they're feeling sad. They're feeling disappointed. Their expectations for the round have gone into the toilet and, and all they're this-
0: feeling sad they might hate themselves at that moment. <laughs> Absolutely. <That's laughs> pretty strong for a stupid game. I know, but that's where we go. It's this but it's the same crap. Yeah. You know that
1: someone's experiencing on the 12th hole that they experienced in grade
0: 6 sure. when they, you know, the teacher called them up to the board and they felt like... Like a fool or So how do you whatever. feel as a mental performance coach because I think that what Tim offers is great. I mean, I've taken advantage of it. You know, and again, to be fully authentic, not really to the greatest degree, we talk a lot of stuff. We've we've had a few conversations. It's not like Tim's following me around every round I play, but it's it's a conversation that we have as friends. But I would ask you this. If you're a mental performance coach, And you know, as I know you do, that there's a huge psychological wounded subtext, then it's almost like a golf swing. What level do you take a student at? You go, well, at first, we're going to talk about some mechanical things like maybe breathing and not pounding your shin with the putter. But but somewhere down the road, you know, there's a bigger conversation to be had. Do you know what I just asked you? I sure do that comes over time when as a as a
1: coach develops a relationship with with who they're dealing with and, and the person starts to feel safe and the person feels supported that whatever shows up for them they're not going to get ridiculed and they're not going to be told what to do and they're not going to be fixed because everybody knows their own stuff but they just generally don't maybe know how to deal with it it comes up so to me what a a, a really good coach does as as a good uh, um support worker, a fellow person at at AA, or just someone who's a really good friend or support, could even be a psychotherapist. What they do is they, they delve into what's really going on for you. What are you actually feeling? What are you feeling in your body right now? Mm-hmm. Is it in a location? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your neck? Where is it? And then maybe even add a color to it. What's what's is it black? Is it orange? What's going on there? And then maybe attach a word to it. it and generally mad, sad, glad, scared, fear, shame. Mad,
0: sad, glad, scared, shame. If Which we are like also d- the name of the altern- <laughs> an alternative version of Snow White.
1: Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> really, those exactly. are five dwarfs. But it's becoming emotionally literate right. and most People. I used to think it was only men, but more and more women I find the same. Emotionally illiterate. So my point
0: is, they're not aware of what they're feeling. And so maybe when you come to see Tim, at first it's technical in the, some things you can start thinking about to make your mental performance better. But then eventually it's very um, personal. You have to start working into belief systems sure the stories that we've all told ourselves
1: so for example uh you know again we keep coming back to the 12th hole whatever but let's keep it on the 12th hole it. so uh i'm thinking of the 12th at, at blue springs where i've had a few three putts in my time um you know, I might be standing there and I've had two, three putts in a row or something like that. And my head is down and I'm looking at my shoes and I'm just going like, OK, here we go again. Um, you know, another three whack. I just can't do this. Um, man, this is this is really
0: brutal. And I just if I had three putted two holes in a row. I'd be even par for the back. All line, that. All that it's stuff. just a
1: thought train, uh, which is another Carl Morris phrase. Um, and just this feeling of sadness and the focus starts to fade away. That is what happens to golfers in, mm-hmm. in so many different ways, is that the mind starts to just
0: go and go and go into a spiral. And it prevents you from making a, a good effort on the third hole where you've got a chance to to make a good putt. Um, maybe speak to that a little bit. Um, if you've just three putted two holes or you're on the 12th hole, rather than sitting here, you know, saying to yourself, oh, i have just three putted two in a row and now I'm this and blah, 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 um, Strong mental players Might think Wow, I've had Two, three putts in a row I'm bound to sink You know, I mean there, There's a way to oh, frame yeah, that Absolutely So that it doesn't get an imp impede or impinge your ability to not three putt the third hole in a row.
1: Yeah, well you could do the, the optimists like the kid who uh the there's the, the old joke about the kid who's the over optimist. So they get this room and they fill it with manure and they bring the kid in. This is your birthday present. He goes, Well there's manure. There's got to be a pony <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Well it's a no it's a famous story from Otella working with a, a college team uh in the States their star player, their best player on the team missed every he was continually missing free throws the entire game. And in the end they had a chance to win the game and he wanted the ball and then and he inv- and he made it. And, and Rotella's fascination was well why, if you've been missing the entire game why did you want the ball? Because he said every time I missed I thought well I'm bound to sink the next one. Absolutely. And that's not how we think in golf. That's right. But There's... on that 12th hole that little wounded soldier is going well here I go again I'm going to three putt another one.
1: So it starts with awareness of what's going on for you but also awareness of how you you can stop it.
0: And there's there's actually right. techniques. They're just like skills of how to hit certain shots. Well that's where Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach, comes in. There are techniques Absolutely. that we've all used and good, you know, I'm you know there's things you can do to stop that. What the thought train?
1: Yeah, so one there's different ways to deal with that. One the thought train is comes back to to Foley in the five minute therapist. Stop it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, that does work it really well. When you find yourself, your 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 thoughts are starting to spiral. Away on you, you can actually just visualize a big stop sign and say, Stop it. And that actually does help. There's another technique, too, is that you just look up because when your
0: eyes are down, you're engaging the verbal part of your brain, and so it hence, it perpetuates the self-talk. Sure, that's a Doolin thing. Eyes up, uh, you know, eyes up above the horizon. Right, it's, so you
1: look at the trees and right.
0: all that, and you actually, that helps you stop. Another key thing
1: is to, to build into your swing. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> what am I thinking? Yeah, I know. What, you're what doing. am I, I thinking?
0: You? That's what, you're, you're, well, what I want you? to maintain that clean
1: rating. <laughs> no. I run, thinking, no, I was thinking, no,
0: I was thinking like, okay, so that's a Doolin thing. You do some more stuff. It's all just, you know, a little bit of borrowed this. Uh, I, listen, which is fine. Hey, pal. What do only, you think Doolin got it from? Exactly. Well, there's only three chords in rock and roll. It's uh, all about how we feel it. It's Actually, not, I, and I'm, by the way, that wasn't a shot. That was just, I, that's why I was laughing. I <laughs> That was laughing. I'm like, okay, so the Doolin thing and then the yeah. Morris, thing. but it's, it's, you know, here's the thing is, you know that I know it, but most guys don't, most, most golfers don't avail themselves of these simple things that are as important, I think, if not more important than how you grip a golf club. Well, you've got to have good
1: fundamentals. I mean, you could be a Zen Buddhist, but if you got a crappy swing, the better golfer is always going to beat you. Yeah, but
0: you're going to enjoy the experience more, (laughs) or you won't care. Maybe.
1: Yeah, you have to. There's a balance. You have to be work. I believe you have to be working on your swing. Preferably with a coach, someone who can give you perspective, keep you on, on track, just working on your fundamentals, being, helping them. You, you can develop this game
0: on your own, but you'll do it way faster. But quickly with get a back. Professional. I, I kind of took you off your track of, you know, there are techniques, eyes, eyes, on their, eyes on the horizon. The shiny thing. You've made two bogeys in a row because you three putted or whatever it is. You're about, you got a long putt again on the third hole in the back nine at Blue Springs, whatever. And you can just say to yourself, stop thinking this way. You can focus on something, you know, one of Tim's, I, I think it's a great uh, piece, is just focusing on a on a blade of grass or the ball. There's a piece where, where it basically takes you away from wondering if you're about to three-putt for the third time.
1: Right. They, it's focus. I mean, that's an overused word in, in golf, but what it's all, if we are focused on one thing, the brain can only focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So multitasking does not work. When we focus on one part of uh, on one thing, it tends to silence the mind. And and we've talked about this before on the show. Is a lot of people think that really good players, PGA two players, are in this place of bliss of Mm -hmm. no mind. No, they're not. Their minds are just roaring, just like just like ours. But they have processes, and one process is to have a focus. An external focus, I think, really works best. It could be a shiny piece on the ball, and you just focus on that. Or the feeling of the grip in your hand or the club head. You maintain that focus, and it's amazing how you can shut out the rest of uh, that over-chattering
0: mind. It's it's really quite amazing. Um, In our last couple minutes here, what I want to throw at you... Was uh, something I've been thinking about since Jordan Smith uh, had his—I don't even know what to call it—debacle. Um, well, here's the thing. I don't actually. Debacle would be. I like invest, That would be investing
1: it with the. That would be catastrophizing. We don't want to do that. I just think the quad. Would. Okay.
0: So, well, I just want to throw a couple things at you. So this might take a few seconds to explain. Ever since it happened, debacle. What do you call it? Catastrophizing. I love that. Well, that's if if we call it a debacle, it's catastrophizing it. So let's just call it the quad. Okay. So whatever that was, the quad. Well, you can call it the quad. Okay. But everyone else has called it a meltdown or uh, implosion or he blew up or whatever number of things. But I almost immediately thought of something else. I thought it. I thought calling it something, whether you call it the quad, that's that's why it doesn't resonate with me. Because everyone is calling it something chaotic and meltdown and implosion and blew up. It takes away from the fact that after he went bogey, bogey, quad, he was one under for the rest of the round. And if he had birdied 16, he would have had a chance to still win it or tie it. Yep. And I think that's the real takeaway for the average to any golfer, really. But for the average player who listens to the show that wants to improve their mental acuity, the big takeaway for me was bogey, bogey, quad, birdie, par, birdie, almost birdie again. And to me, that's if you if you can think I will, I prefer to look at it that way, that that kid showed incredible courage in the face of a, a global I mean, as far as golf goes, it doesn't get any more global than 200 countries around the world watching that moment. So I'd like you to react to that as a thought. And then I want to follow it up with something. So initially for me, and and, and hopefully I want to see what you think of it. That's the lesson. That's what I'm going to take away from it. Um, What about you? A professional golfer, a a guy who's won two
1: majors. uh, I don't know how, how many PGA Tour wins he's got right now, but quite a few. He's been at the high level for a number of years. The reason he's there is he's got his reps in at a high level. He's at a high level because he knows how to focus, knows how to start. A process knows how to end it. And it's like uh, a really good player can bogey the first three holes, but still come in with a, a good score because they remain focused. And the key point I'm going to get to is they don't invest emotionally in what's going on. They know how to center themselves, they know how to bring it down. So, and one example is they don't amplify, they don't think. So, it wouldn't ever occur to Jor- Jordan Spieth that 200 million people around the world are possibly watching this. They're aware conscious that that yes, everyone, that people are watching this, but that doesn't enter his, his head. It might, but he could let it go. Because these players on the LPGA Tour, PGA Tour, European Tour, they have been playing in front of galleries since they were like 8 years old or 12 or whatever. They're, they're used to that. This is part of their environment. So I really think that what happens with really good players is that they're able to just Shut things down because they've been through it many, many times. They've got their reps in in those high pressure moments Mm -hmm. and they can stop the process. And it is process. So they get to they get to a new a new tee box. They get so they come to 13. Whole new thing here. Maybe he has a start signal. Maybe it's putting on his glove or something, but it's a whole new thing. And they step into their process. And what happened
0: on 12 is history. What about the fact? I, I agree with uh, a very good portion of what you said. I disagree. You, you sort of—I I, I mentioned the fact that it was a very public um, forum. I don't—it doesn't matter whether he knew it or not. My point is, what, when you're playing with your buddies. Even if the other three guys in your room You feel a flush of humiliation And your face goes red I only pointed out that this was as, as golf goes It's a pretty global Everyone was watching it Whether he's conscious of that or not Isn't my point My point is though Even though these professionals On all these tours you mentioned Even though they get their reps in Even all that taken into consideration It was incredibly courageous Because lots of guys With the same cre- uh, credibility and, and background They go away they play the last six holes. If you're watching coverage, you don't see them anymore. I mean, you know, they're not the ones who hang around. From they're not the ones who contend in tournaments. But my, but my point is, even given all his experience, it was still an incredible performance to me. I agree. Well You don't have to. I just saying for no, me. No, but I do agree. My takeaway is, given even with a professional golfer, that was still amazing. That that he's a, that's a, that's the the rare guys because lots of tour level players go bogey bogey quad. Glorie Malkyroy, Those is the last round of the Masters when he shot eighty. You never saw him after he went bogey, bogey, whatever he did. Right? It was almost like, well, you know. And, the, and the, I just say, I love the coverage. The way the, way the director goes, well, we won't be t- we won't be going to fourteen for his another, his latest bogey. But but Jordan Spieth impressed me so much more in those six holes. Like I was blown away. I, you know what? I think we could then
1: take. Uh, I I think what really. So yes, they have processes. They have techniques for for starting, stopping, that kind of thing. But But they're only human. Correct. And here's what I'm going to get to is that Jordan Spieth is one of the most grounded people you could ever meet. Likes himself a lot. Well, he just comes from this family, I think, of like of really solid values. Yep. And their focus, as Jordan Spieth grew up, so he's twenty two, and the focus has been on him for the longest time. His focus has been on his sister. Yeah. His he's got his his sister is mentally challenged, and so when it comes down, we'd even connect this to Danny Willett. So when Jordan Speeth is going through that, that situation, it's not he's not thrown into survival. For
0: him, Mm -hmm.
1: it's he knows at the end of the day, no matter what happens, he's a good person. He mean he may not know that consciously,
0: but he feels it in his DNA somewhere. Absolutely, he's got
1: that back. You know, his whole life, and so we could also make just that connection to Ernie else. And it was really interesting that came out of you know people wondered how he went on. You know how he could go on. Well, he as he was coming off the green, he was thinking about his son Ben, who's
0: autistic, right, and about the foundation that he had. But there are greater things in the world than yeah, s- six said, putting.
1: Yeah, and would the, would these kids, with these autistic kids, would they give up?
0: No, right. Um, yeah, I still, you know, I and you know, it was interesting because Jordan Spieth was. Yeah, rattled at the end he and when he's walking oh, yeah, from 18 yeah. oh. and you know saying to the cameraman get the camera out of my face you know what he's human he's a human okay. being absolutely and and you know the look on jordan's face in butler cabin oh. there he just had you know he was shell-shocked but i i think the the lesson for all of us is um you know if jordan Speeth can make a quad quad and then in the in the master's He's about to win it. Yeah. If he can make a quad and finish that round with some dignity and, and feeling, you know, trying hard, that's the lesson I think that, you know, if I were, a, you know, a mental performance coach, that's what I'd be sending out to my players. That's what you need to pay attention to. Not the fact that, you know, there's something about human beings that we somewhat, for some reason, want to celebrate. And I, and I use that word cautiously. Somebody's misfortune. There's something weird about that because so many guys were so ready to, you know, Jordan Vandeveld, I heard, and, you know, talking, yeah, yeah. talking about, oh man, can you believe it? Part of the reason we do that is go, can you believe he screwed up? Makes me feel better about how crappy I am. <laughs> well, they're projecting all their own crap. Right. It's all their own stuff. But all I could think about all week, and I, I couldn't wait to come and talk to you about it, is the fact that that impressed me more than anything. It's just, yeah. it, it was pretty wild to watch.
1: Again, it's it's around what's really important in life, and 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 when, and when we invest in, in, it's like Willett. He was just basking, I think, in really good in a really good place. And at the end of the day, Jordan Spieth is in a really good
0: place, just in terms of a great family. And, and I think all people that. people that ask, "Is he going to recover?" Of course, they're, they're asking he will. the wrong question. He didn't recover from what? From gutting it out for six holes when he, a lot of people would have expected and and actually probably would have felt okay if he had just gagged it up and, you know, finished four over and whatever. He didn't. Right. He's going to recover because here's the thing. He re, he already recovered. Exactly. Exactly. Because as you just pointed out, recovered from, you know, what, from having a great family and and knowing that that there are things in the world more important than, you know, whether you hit it in the water on 12. Now the guy calls him Jordan Vandeveld, That guy's just Projecting his own insecurities all over him. But, Timmy, you know, everyone Monday and Tuesday, we're going, oh, the great. Ex- is this a. Is, well, look at the stuff we started with. Is this as big a collapse as, you know, Greg Norman? I didn't see it as a collapse at all. Um, you know, I will say this to uh, one thing I was talking about it on my radio show. Most of us had heard of Danny Willett. I had. You know, I watched the European tour. If you're a golf geek. Yeah. One of the biggest... I mean, I, I made this point on Monday. My, my partner, Freddie, goes, oh, I never heard of the guy. I go, you I said, you never heard of him, but he's the number 12th player in the world. He's like, what? Yeah. I said, yeah. The dude didn't come off the future tour in Europe. I mean, he's a stud, man. Yeah. He's like a real player. He's not... He's the. He's one of the best players on the planet. And no surprise, he won the Masters. Anyway... There's a lot of good stuff But that's the, the way show. news
1: That's the way people it, It's about who we pay attention to Right Who are the stars Because those are the people We see in ourselves And that's just, I'm, I guess I'm gonna go on a rant About pop culture But I'll just leave it there Oh I think you
0: could I don't know if I would be uh, You know Comprehensive
2: the music again.
0: This is for the last time Until next April um, Made, Adidas Our sponsor Thank you very much um, Of course uh the M1, number one driver in golf, and uh, I can tell you from personal experience, if there's one club you're thinking of changing into your bag this year, make it that one, because it's dumb how much further you're going to hit it. It's dumb. It is. It really is. You'd be like, I don't think a uh, club will make a difference in my game. Uh, trust me, it will. <laughs> It'll make a big difference. Uh, Tim O'Connor, one of the uh, bright lights of uh, the Canadian mental golf scene. <laughs>
1: Two of us? Oh, yes. Bright light.
0: Oconnorgolf.ca. Dim bulb. He's a dim... You know what? His dim bulb brights, uh, shines brightly. Uh, <laughs> please subscribe to our show on iTunes. Uh, some people have been uh, making some nice comments. During the week, listen to HumbleAndFredRadio.com. It's Forget his, during the week. It's, it's hysterical. Actually, you can listen, you can to, it listen to it right you now. When you finish the little golfy thing, go to HumbleAndFredRadio.com. has a podcast, too. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, don't listen to it with your kids, unless you want your kids to learn the, some really, really horrible lessons about life. Um, all right, folks. Thanks very much. Swing thoughts, episode thirteen. Thank G- you, Tim. Goodbye, friends.